0: And we are back. It's the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. I'm Jack Heald, the resident idiot. And we have today somebody, uh, we have a guest today that when I was doing my research, I went, man, I would really love to sit down over a glass of whiskey with this dude with no time. So limit. We,
1: had, we had to do this on Zoom? We, I, Whiskey was an option? <laughs> I'm He's sorry.
0: <laughs> talk two, to the doctor Hey, with, it's not my you. thing <laughs> we have today uh author scott carney phil over to yeah. you yeah
2: very good been uh looking forward to this conversation for quite a while uh i i think first learned about scott a number of years ago um he has uh but A number of very interesting books. Uh, The ones that caught my attention at first were uh, *The Wedge* and um, *What Doesn't Kill Us*. And uh, those are going to be relevant to sort of our usual topics. Uh, But then he has others that I think go into some other fascinating areas, and they will get into all of it. Uh, Scott's been a contributing editor at Wired. He's written for *Men's Journal*, *Playboy*, number of other. very well-known publications and has been radio television NPR national geographic tv all of that good stuff uh, but uh, really excited to hear about some of uh the unique health related topics uh and really mindset related topics that scott uh, has written about and with that uh welcome scott why don't you Fill in a little bit of the details for our audience as to your background and uh, how you got interested in some of this stuff.
1: Uh, thanks so much for having me on. This is, uh, this will be an interesting conversation. I love talking with um, doctors. You know, this morning I just uh, woke up like super early and jumped in an ice bath um, by te- and tested my blood work beforehand. And then right after I tested my blood work again, and I don't have the results yet, but assuming something happened on the... Uh, and we'll see. But yeah, I'm an investigative journalist and anthropologist. uh, And I I live six years in India. And I have just a ton of books on like randomly, seemingly disconnected subjects. You know, I started by investigating organ trafficking around the world. Uh, I've written, you know, from war zones. I've written about organized crime. I've written about cults. Uh, And I, I was starting to get my you know, career underway debunking fake gurus uh, and, you know, people, especially with people who are teaching that you can achieve superpowers, like sort of like abnormally big things. And uh, and then I heard about this guy named Wim Hof who was saying he could like sit on icebergs and like melt the ice with his body. He, and I was like, that's crazy. And I tried his method. And the, the, the short sto- story of this is that it worked. And then I wrote this book called what doesn't kill us about my experience with Wim Hof. Um, you know, when he was just at the very beginning of his career and you know how that, that journey changed my life. Uh, and then I've written sort of follow-up books about that with a concept that I call the wedge, which is what you do in, Uh, a stressful environment, your mindset in that environment, how that mindset, plus the interaction of the, of the, of the stress that's coming into your nervous system, how that changes your physiology. And then I most recently wrote a book about um, climate change and war. So I'm sort of really really all over the place.
0: Well, I want to hear about um, the effect of stress on your physiology. Sure. I'm not a doctor. I get to play the guy who who says, I don't understand what you're saying, but you're not a doctor either. So maybe we can talk to each other. Yeah. And Dr. O can uh, uh, keep us scientifically straight as we work through this. Explain for our listeners what happens when our bodies are under stress physiologically.
1: Oh man, that is too general of a question, unfortunately. Um, but you know, you can you okay, can think you're about like a refinement. <laughs> so you know the 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 human organism or any organism at all in the world has to deal with its relationship with the environment, right? You know, you it has to decide. You know, um, you, there are like decisions that your body already has locked in. So if we let's say so we're talking about ice water, right? Your when you jump into ice water, your body says, "Okay, we're going to shunt the blood to the core by constricting the muscles, the, the smooth muscle in your veins and and move it there." And and the body through the process of evolution has said no consciousness required, right? We can we'll, we will just do this. However, there's also this conscious component where you could look at an ice bath and say, hey, I don't want to go in there because that would be bad. And so and, and it's this tension between what what the, the languages that's going on in your head and your physiological reactions, which is where consciousness, human consciousness and probably animal consciousness too, exists. And you can still trigger those vasoconstriction and and the responses to the cold water by literally getting in. And we're, you know, the the senses of anxiety and depression and these other sensations that we feel in our sort of emotional centers of the brain relate directly to physiological sensations that we would have in the environment. And this is, that's all very high level stuff. So we can can get... (laughs) We we can go yeah, down I, lower.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the you know fascinating things to me about uh, the work that uh, Wim Hof has done and others is you know this. Uh, we have a perception. Most of us have a perception like that things inside our body. You know, we are not in control of. We can't consciously mm-hmm. alter the reaction to cold water, like, you know, for an example. But right. Wim Hof has clearly shown that you can. Right. Um, and that we probably have a lot more control over these things than we, we think we do, than we give ourselves credit for. And yeah. uh, it's just fascinating uh, to kind of explore uh, how far you can take that. Sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, Wim Hof has certainly taken that uh, to. Beyond what most people would consider the limits, uh, sure. but maybe well, talk a little bit about when you were first going through the process, you know, what that was like, trying to control these things that you perceive not to be mm-hmm. controllable,
1: yeah, well, the way I like to think of it is that every sensation that you feel in your body ever is a choice, right? It's all an offering of a choice, right? Where where, if, if you get into ice water, for instance, or you're looking over a cliff or you're driving your car down, down the road, your body has these automatic responses to it. I mean, think about driving on a highway. You're accelerated with hundreds of thousands of pounds of of metal of, of steel going at 60 miles an hour uh, that is actually legitimately terrifying yet all of us are like this is no problem i can do this because we have all tamed our nervous systems in that environment now when you're i was 15 and a half years old i first got my learning permit i felt all 15,000 pounds of steel around me and i worried about it and we just we literally just decide how our body wants to react to that environment and we're all master. And this is what I call the wedge, right? The wedge is like there's an external stimulus stimulus that gives you some sort of stressful, um, uh, um, choice. And then your decision to change, to, to alter your um, perception of that environment has these downstream effects on your physiology. Now in an ice bath, our initial reaction, anyone who's thinking right now, what does it feel like to take a cold shower? What does it feel like to rub ice on your nipples? Like, whatever, right? You have this idea of like, that will not be pleasant. Yeah, Uh, I don't know. Maybe people have ice nipple things, that's different. But you know, like the, the idea is that it's not gonna be pleasant and I don't wanna do that. Everyone says to me the first time they hear what I do that they do not wanna do this because they are especially scared of the ice. But the thing that you learn is that that is just the anticipation. That is just anxiety. That is just like your mind casting the world's worst um, reactions. And when you get into the ice, you realize that the sensations that it offers are primal. They are evolutionarily hardwired, right? It's going to, it's going to activate your sympathetic nervous system, what's your fight or flight responses. This is adrenaline and cortisol and all these like, sort of like pain relieving energy boosting um, systems. And you have then you realize that you have this choice. Do I engage that system and hyperventilate, shake, shiver, whatever else? Or do I say to myself, this isn't so bad and I can do it. Like whatever, that's just sensation on my skin. And everyone, the the reason why ice water is such a great training place is because everyone has this evolutionary reaction to cold and it's always going to fight or flight, always panic, always fly out of that ice water as quickly as possible. But you realize like literally within 10 seconds of being in, in, in what in cold water, you realize that that you actually have complete control over what you want to do there. And I can relax in, in an ice bath. I can just be totally calm. And I've taken, you know, I've taken half an hour ice baths at 32 degree water and been fine. Where, whereas, you know, if you look at like hypothermia tables, I should have been dead at 10 minutes. And it's and it's because I'm able to interact with my nervous system and just say, I'm okay. It's going to be fine.
0: And which that? has like, hmm, go on. Yeah. What was that process? Because at some point you weren't there and then you got there. Talk about the in-between, the going from.
1: Yeah. Well, from that is now that is the wedge right that is this like that is that that interesting synapse between the environment and consciousness itself like human consciousness when i said that every sensation is a is a choice i think that's why we were evolutionary hardwired in the first place to be conscious, right. Is because at some point you have these evolutionary things that are in there that says, you know, an organism it runs away from cold or runs away from CO2 or lava or whatever it is. We go away from that stuff. But at some point, the, the environment is so complex that it needs to seed some of that information, that sensory information to do into cognitive processing software. And that's where human, that's where, what, how we experience consciousness is. And like you use it, we are conscious all day. We look around outside. We say, hey, that's the postman and not a murderer coming to drop, you know, look into my into my mailbox. And if it was a murderer, you would have a very different physiological response. And and the thing the cool thing about ice water is it's so predictable. Right. Well, I know how you're going to feel when you get in there. I know that the way I feel in ice water is precisely how you are going to feel in ice water from a nerve standpoint, uh, from an emotional reaction standpoint. And the only thing that's different is how you choose to respond to that environment.
0: What do you say? And time for true confession here. Uh, I actually enjoy a cold dip as well. Great. Uh, this time of year it's fantastic in Phoenix, mm-hmm. because uh, I just checked the water. It was 52 degrees yesterday, which is not 32. But uh, it's cold, it's it's, it's a it. nice enough difference between my 104 degree spa. So mm-hmm. I go from the spa, and then I go into the mm-hmm. pool. Um, But I, I so I'm not speaking from a place of ignorance. But there's an awful lot of our listeners whose health journeys are barely begun. Mm-hmm. Talk about the um, the physiological benefits, how you feel different, and if you've got this I haven't read your book, so I apologize if you if you have the information what's actually happening under our skin um mm-hmm. when we choose to master this particular type of behavior mm.
1: well the I mean, when we get into the physiology, there's a lot going on, right? You have millions and millions of processes going on all the time. So it's actually a little bit difficult to get really get into that. But, you know, I want to talk from an evolutionary perspective at first. We are the human species is about three to five million years old, depending how you want to like cut that off and throughout the course of history and and life on the planet is about 3 billion years old, then the planet's about 5 billion years old. Every organism in that entire time had to deal with changing environments, okay? You know, it was hot, it was cold, there were brutal things, there were were things, and and our tool to survive has been you change your biology in some way in order to respond to that environment. Now, one of the things that's terrible about modern human life is that while we were may have been on like the, in the plains of the Sahara and it might go up to 110 in the morning in, in, during at noon and maybe down to 50 at night. Your bodies were making that change, which means your uh the, the the muscles in your arterial system, the smooth muscle in your arterial system would clench and 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 dilate and sort of stretch in and out. You 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 use all these different hormones and all these different things were going on in your body and it was triggered by the environment. Now come to about 19 um we are now in more or less total control of our environment we are not cold in the winter and we're not hot in the summer you live in phoenix where in the summer it's not habitable by humans like no human can live in phoenix right now in july it but you do and why do you do that because you have climate control because we have water available at, at a at a touch and the where Human biology used to always have these up and down changes of all sorts. And there were sensations um, that were paired with those changes. Um, Now we live in a numb environment and we are not getting the environmental signals that change our biology. So what we're doing, not just with ice water, but also with heat, with fear, with anything that makes you feel something, you're giving your body variation. And those variations, because they were the standard before, are, are are giving your unconscious system, your nervous system, the stuff that it needs. And now if we look at the problems that plague the modern world, right? We have autoimmune illnesses. We have, uh, anxiety, depression. We have uh, you know cancers, we have like tons of stuff's going haywire in us. Even though we've figured out with antibiotics and amazing western medicine, right, we can deal with any acute condition right now basically. Um but the chronic conditions, you know, western medicine's terrible at dealing with. It's it's just not good at dealing with it. And probably most of your patients are dealing with chronic problems, things that that manifest for a long period over time and then they have an acute phase where you have suddenly have the the big painful moment and then you get then western medicine comes in and we we're, we're able to patch that up but the underlying causes aren't fixed and I'm not saying that ice baths are the panacea to everything out there that is not the argument but what I am saying is that adding these variations into your life changes things. And in particular, in my own experience, it's changes autoimmune reactions, it changes depression, it changes anxiety. And we can talk about the science of that pretty, pretty deeply, if you'd like to,
0: Um, I'd like to talk more deeply about that. But I'd like to, I want to make sure that that our listeners understand what you just said, that these types of environmental stressors, Mm-hmm. in this case, extreme hot or extreme cold, have a, a beneficial physiological effect that you can feel. You don't have to go measure it. Mm-hmm. You can actually tell mm-hmm. things are better, things are different. And you specifically listed for yourself, uh, what would you say, depression, anxiety?
1: auto, And autoimmune um, illnesses. Oh, and yeah. Autoimmune
0: illnesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's huge. Phil, what were you going to say?
2: Yeah, just to kind of follow up on that, you know, we, uh, one of the things that's been said is, you know, we sort of have this crisis of comfort, and Mm -hmm. uh, we have lost the ability or lost the desire to, you know, be uncomfortable. uh, And that's contributing to, you know, many of the things you mentioned. Um, And I would even add, you know, what we focus so much on in this podcast and in in my work is, you know, metabolic health. And, you know, Mm -hmm. this. Uh, All of these modern diseases like diabetes and obesity and heart disease, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, have a lot to do with how we interact with our environment these days. Mm -hmm. So for uh, someone's out, you know, for our audience out there who is thinking, well, I don't plan to go do a, you know, 32 degree uh, ice bath anytime soon, Um, you know, is this useful for my day to day life? Uh, you know, what can I, how can I use this to improve my health and my day-to-day life? Uh, What would you say to those people?
1: Well, I would say chronic illness as, in general, Right. And, and, and we have to talk about it in generalities because there's always specifics where we're like, well, yeah, of course that's not true. Yep. Um, but so chronic illness is in general, a uh, arises out of your relationship with the things that you do in your life. Right. So if we want to talk about, let's do it really, really easy. If we want to talk about obesity, one of the things one great way to get obese is change the environment in your kitchen to all snickers bars okay <laughs> you know if you eat just snickers bars and your environment of your food is just snickers bars i promise you you will put on weight uh and that's just because that you you create a food environment so lifestyle is very important and i look at lifestyle in a way sort of like a drug, right? Sort of like if you do these things, you will get these other outputs. If you feel these sorts of sensations, you're, 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 you're able to sort of more fine tune the way that your body reacts. Now, I will say it's not a hard science right? I can't say, for instance, that tickling you sets off this hormonal reaction that will cure diabetes. Like that's not the way this works. This is, this is more saying like we need variation. We need strong sensation sometimes. And I know that you said that, um, maybe your listeners are, ne- are never going to want to do an ice bath. Well, one of the reasons they may never want to do an ice bath is because they feel so comfortable all the time. And, and as you feel more comfortable, as you said, there's a crisis in comfort, is that if you don't have range in the stuff you're going to do, um, and you, you're totally fine staying on your couch and, and watching Netflix. And that is the way you have organized your entire life so that if you go to the mailbox, that's terrifying. And you could people do get to this point, right? Where you have so narrowed your environment and your range that you can't do stuff. Now, I imagine most of your listeners are not just eating Snickers and watching Netflix, but I wanted to take this to sort of a, a logical extreme. Now, If you do harder things, like if you got that person off of their Netflix couch and they walked around the block once a day, the first times you do that will be stressful, right? Because it is novel. It is different. There's more stimuli coming um, into your internal environment, into your mind, into your sensory system, and it's going to be hard. For me, now when I look at an ice bath, I still think, "Mm, that doesn't look so fun. But I know that it changes my my, my my entire perception of what is difficult in the first place. And the cool thing about ice baths is that, is that there's a big difference between the anticipation of the uncomfortable stimulus and your body's response when you realize, because you probably haven't done one if you're listening to this, right? When you actually get in there and you, you, you forget about that anxiety and then you say, oh, actually, it's ice water and it may not be the best. Right. I may not want to live in ice water for the rest of my life, but I can handle it. And and I can handle it. if I can handle ice water, what else can I handle? And that's where you get this cool generalization um, mm. ability to handle stress in general because your body has two um two basic neural responses, right? One is fight or flight and one is rest and digest. Right. And you only can be in both one or the other state. There's not like a third, third um Branch of the vagus nerve, which is called watch Netflix, right? Where only the Netflix nerve uh, works. No, you can be in fight or flight, or you can be rest and digest, or you can be in some mixture of the two. It's not like a faucet where you turn it on and off. It's actually two branches, and they both have to be innervated at, at the same time in one way or another. Um, when you can master one of those branches, the ice water is a great way to trigger fight or flight because your body interprets that signal as death. Like it looks at ice water, it says, this is death. And then your body goes into the response to I don't wanna die response. And then you can control that response in the face of death Well, you just freaking hacked your whole life. You hacked your entire response to your environment. And that's why anxiety gets better. Because anxiety is not only the anticipation of what's going on in the outside world, looking through your eyes and your mind, it's actually a sensation that you feel in your body. It's a tightness in your chest. It is the release of adrenaline. It is the release of cortisol. It is your fight or flight response, not being properly modulated in a fight or flight situation. So
0: yeah, absolutely. So, so what you're saying is that you used to struggle with anxiety?
1: Well, I mean, everyone struggles with some anxiety. What I will say is that when I do these methods, the days are are qualitatively easier. Right, that um, that I've always been something of a risk taker. I've always been someone who's been able to go. I mean, I was a war correspondent for years. You know, it's like you know, I've been in the areas where the bullets are flying. Um, Most people wouldn't do that, but I still get anxious about things, about stupid things. I will sit up at night and I will think about a stupid thing and I'll crunch out through the night. And we're all humans. I will say that that it's anxiety is a struggle that we all have to some degree. For me, it's never crushing. But for people I know who get panic attacks and actually do struggle with this stuff, these practices are great. What I will say that's truly amazing is the autoimmune stuff. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. If you want to think about your immune system, like the, 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 critters let's call them critters right in your immune system you got your b cells you got your t cells you got your macrophages you got your killer t cells i mean there's all these different components but we're just going to call them critters and the type of critters they are is wolves okay and and their job is to go after the bad stuff that goes in your body it's like a virus or a bacteria and eat them kill them in various ways i'm super simplifying this and i, I, I and i hope that our dr pal here is like oh my god how do i get it from wolves to real science okay no We've got wolves in our body and they're wolfing around and they're trying to kill the bad stuff, but we live and, and they live in a bloodstream and lymphatic systems and stuff like that, but they live in your body and they feel the same stuff that your body releases. And now we know there's lots of scientific papers saying that if you give a macrophage and you bathe it in adrenaline, a macrophage eats um, bacteria and viruses, rips them apart. It's called the big eater. um, If you bathe it in adrenaline, it waves its flagella a lot faster, right? It gets, It's like, oh my God, I'm in adrenaline. It, it sort of reacts like you do. And so if you bathe it in adrenaline all the time, it's gonna like look for things to eat. Now we live in an environment that does not have a lot of pathogens in, it in general, right? That That is, is it, 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 we do not get a lot of variation in, in our, our physiological responses because we're comfortable. And And like any wolf pack, wolves get bored okay and you're, <laughs> uh, yeah yeah we got bored wolf macrophages and they're going to be like i'm going to go eat your um uh the myelin sheath on your nerves right to give you mul- uh, multiple mul- is that multiple sclerosis the myelin my- yeah yep. you got my- yep. you got arthritis in your joints you got uh, uh, lupus you know uh, uh, and it's funny because when you start talking about these things the question of autoimmune gets a little sketchy but like you know your these wolves start attacking you and the stuff that is that is tagged as you because it is bored or is it is bathed in adrenaline now when we do things like jump in ice water where the the correct environmental response your body's saying death and you modulate your adrenaline so it's down you are and this is scientifically speaking giving those wolves chew toys now and so they're able to chew on the toys and 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 the wolves don't bother you now Again, I'm using all metaphorical language here, right? We could we could actually use some clinical language. And I'll give you an example of how this worked with Wim Hof a few years ago. Yes. And please. I was and I was around during these studies. So Wim Hof's method is a breathing method and an immersion in ice. And you can learn it in like 40 minutes. I can t- I, you could be a master in the Wim Hof method in like 40 minutes. It's not hard, but it does involve getting into ice water and being like, hmm, this is okay. And then there's some breathing stuff that you do. Now, Wim Hof made the claim that he could consciously turn off his immune system if he wanted to in a clinical environment. Uh, and doctors say, this is impossible. Your immune system is not attached to your brain. You can't turn it off. Um, and so what he said, no, that's bullshit. I can do it. So what he was actually, he lived nearby a, um, a, in, a, in Radboud University in the in Holland, um, there was one of the the people who had designed the test for anti-rejection drugs for when you get like an organ transplant, so like cyclosporin. Um, but you know, if you get someone's kidney into your body um, and you install it, and it's not a perfect match, your immune system will eat it. So what you need to do is you need to turn off or down your immune system so that your body doesn't eat that thing. And he had designed a test of those drugs. What Wim was saying is that I am the drug. <laughs> right that i can i can do the drug without the drug that's what he was saying and the way the test works is you inject somebody with a heat killed e coli bacteria this is called endotoxin and and so it's not dangerous but your immune system recognizes it as a foreign pathogen when you you inject it um, your body should respond like you're under attack. You get a fever, you get the sweats, you get the achy joints, you get all the primary immune responses. Wim said that you could inject it with endotoxin with just, with just a little power of willpower and some breathing, no response. And that would be identical to cyclosporin. So what did they do? They injected Wim with the endotoxin and there was no response, nothing interesting anyway. Um, and that was that was like, crazy. That was bananas. And maybe Wim's a freak. And I will tell you from experience, Wim is a freak. So that was correct. (laughs) Um, uh, And maybe it's some genetic anomaly because 99% of trials go one way, but there is that 1% weirdness. So one week after I met him in 2013, they brought, I believe it was 20. It might've been 12. Look at the paper. You can link to it somewhere. Uh, I believe it was 20 um, uh, Dutch college students. And they did the training with him for a week, where they dunked in ice water and they did the breathing and blah blah blah, and then they brought them back to Radbound University and they ejected all of them with endotoxin, and none of them had any response
0: after a week.
1: After just a week of training, and I think you could even do it faster. And and and, and now here's my personal experience: after training with Wim in 2013, but prior to that, I would get canker sores in my mouth, which were about the size of a dime. I was like, on, like I would I was a, a uh, terrible. I would thought of myself as like a canker sore survivor. Cause they'd come one and they'd last for a week and they'd be there about once every month. And it sucked. It wasn't like cancer, right? It was a canker sore, but I hated it. I started doing the Wim Hof method, not thinking about canker sores at all. Just that that was not the reason I was doing it. I just did it because it felt good. And the canker sores never came back. And they have, I've only had two in 10 years of doing the Wim Hof method. And they used to come every week and, you know, canker sores are probably a response to um, a herpes virus that I contracted as a kid. And then that you sort of clear the herpes virus. And then, but the body still occasionally is like, Oh, you bit your lip. Let's start a canker. And, and now that doesn't happen because my wolves, well, they have two toys. I,
0: I mean, that.
2: that's <laughs> yeah, quite fascinating. Um, I, I guess what do you think the limits of this are? So let me, you know, we talk a lot about on this program, like I said, metabolic health and and diet and lifestyle to overcome your metabolic health problems. Uh, you know, how much of a bad environment can you fight off with this? And, and I'm sure you you probably eat pretty well. You probably you know eat a pretty healthy diet. Uh, but you know, w- could you imagine you know can this fix metabolic health without changing your diet? For instance, if someone is eating the Snickers bars, like you said, you know, can we change our response to Snickers bars?
1: Ooh, I don't know. Let's do a test. Um, I I think maybe, maybe if you want to be really uncomfortable, right? So there was a study that came out in Nature. I think about six months ago that looked at this question of the Warburg effect, right? So that what the, and the Warburg effect is essentially cancer cells. Like, I think it's like 90% of cancers feed abnormally high, um, well on sugar. They eat more sugar than the average human cell for metabolic reasons. And I'm sure you can just, you know, you can science it up for us, but like basically cancer feeds on sugar. And if you Give someone a low sugar diet and pair that with mild uh, prolonged cold exposure so like turning the thermostat in your house down to like 60 all, all all the time um what they found is that tumor growth radically reduced in both mice and in humans um the study was still small i think they need to do some follow ups to make it this really really good but but basically what the idea was is that if you cut sugar um in your diet and then you 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 do cold Thermogenesis, that's like heating yourself in the in the cold. What happens is that your body in cold environments sucks sugar out of your bloodstream and wherever else sugar is stored and burns it directly for heat energy. And this is what we, if you've heard of brown fat, um, this is a metabolic tissue that humans uh, genetically have, but we usually just never use it. Um, but its role is to suck out sugar from your system, burn it for heat. Um, but if you've never lived in an uncomfortable environment, you've never really activated it in your, in your recent life. And, and so, so uh, for the Snickers question, maybe if you want to over ramp up, your BAT, like if if you lived at like 34 degrees ambient air temperature forever, you might be able to get away with just Snickers bars, but I would not recommend it. And I'm not gonna do the experiment because it sounds actually really horrible.
2: No, I wouldn't recommend it either, (laughs) uh, certainly. And then, uh, you know, I guess the other question is, is there something unique about cold as a stimulus uh, versus other, you know, possible uncomfortable things that you could do?
1: Cold's easy. Um, and I think that's what it is. It's primal. And I can, and I feel like, and there's a, there's a little bit of a philosophical question here. I feel like my sensations that I feel when my nervous system are similar to your sensations and I think this is a, a somewhat of a leap of faith, right? Is that you feel what I, uh, I feel because we can't actually communicate what our feelings are. We can only communicate emotions. But I believe I, as an act of faith that your sensations are similar to my sensations. And that if I dump you in ice water, you're gonna feel roughly what I feel in ice water. If I dump a cat in ice water, it's gonna feel roughly the same things that I feel in ice water. And I think that... Now, I've totally lost the question. Why was I talking about cats in ice baths? I don't know. What what was your question again?
0: (laughs) Well, we originally started with what are the limits? Oh, wrap. And
2: then we were talking about what's unique about cold. Oh, what's
1: unique? There we are. What's unique about cold? We'll get back to the other question in a second. What's unique about cold is it's standardizable. Right? I can say at 34, your your nervous system is going to re- react uh, slightly different than 48 um, to 56 and onwards. And I find it's a very easy and quickly teachable tool. However, I did write an entire book called The Wedge, uh, that which said, like, after you've been doing this for 10 years, what's next? And honestly, that concept of putting yourself in a stimulus and realizing you have a choice Is a practice that you can use in any situation. You can use it while giving a podcast. You can use it while sitting uh, in your office. You can use it while skydiving. Like the environment's always offering you a choice. Like every second you have a choice. And you can pilot a lot of your life by saying, is this really a danger? Is this not? And then calming your nerves in those situations. And, and, And you do that by both the internal calming your nerves and then giving and also giving yourself range of sensations, like actively seeking out range in general in any, in any horizon and anything that you do looking for range is very, very important.
0: You know, this reminds me of just a weightlifting principle of progressive mm-hmm. overload. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, every, every session, every leg session should be just a little bit heavier, a little more weight mm-hmm. than, than the previous one and we're constantly pushing our boundaries mm-hmm. my oldest son does uh power lifting and i went to a meet with him and there was a guy there 70 i think he said he was 76 years old i asked him i said how long you've been lifting he said since i was 14.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and uh, he was there that day to attempt to set an age group record in the bench press he was going to bench press Four hundred and fifty pounds. Oh man! As a seventy-six-year-old man, um, parenthetically, he got the weight up, but it wasn't a. It wasn't the judge said uh, he, whatever. It wasn't the in the powerlifting world. It wasn't an official lift, so mm-hmm. he didn't get credit for the record. But he got the weight up. Um, I remember when my kids were we we first moved to Arizona. This is back in the mid-90s. And we took them to a place called Biosphere 2.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was a... Uh,
1: outside of Tucson.
0: Yeah, outside of Tucson. It was a biological experiment where they would put, I think it was seven people inside this sealed environment in an attempt to, I think what they were attempting, well, I think long-term it was, can we build an environment that humans can live in on another planet? But the thing that that has stuck with me from that particular visit goes back to this uh, range thing. Uh, the Proctor told us about these trees that had grown inside the biosphere. I don't remember the, the species, but um, they noted that the, the trees grew very fast, very straight. Um, and they were they were really impressed with with this beautiful environment for growing they'd created mm-hmm. inside biosphere. Right up until the trees fell over under their own weight. <laughs> yeah, and what they realized that in the absence of wind, in the absence of these yeah. constant stressors, mm-hmm. the trees, although they appeared to be as healthy as a tree could be actually had no tensile strength whatsoever Mm. and literally couldn't support their own weight Mm. so you know there that's a principle that apparently is woven into our biology everywhere we look i suspect woven into more than just biology
1: yeah, it's. I mean, I I agree. You know that the, the it, this is this is the concept of hormesis, right? Uh, if you want a fancy Greek word, right, where you you give um, subtle stresses to things to make them stronger, and you know, you the one one classic example of this is that um, if you give something a little bit of poison, not a lot of poison, just a little bit of poison, um, there. Everything gets better about the physiology of that creature, and you know some a famous example is arsenic on birds' eggs, right? You know, you put a little arsenic on the birds' eggs, and you, you put it in that environment, and uh, and all of the birds, like many more birds, hatch correctly. But if you put too much, it's it, you know, obviously kill all the birds. So it's finding the right amount of stress, right, and the right amount of of things that sh- that could kill you. Um, but not overdosing on it, so it's like yeah, it's it's exactly what you're saying. It's that subtle training. It's the subtle um, uh, tensions that we feel all all the time. Because otherwise, you're that tree that falls over in Biosphere Two, and that was the worst movie ever that came out of the '90s. Uh, it had Paulie Shore in it,
0: and I do not recommend it. Well, if it had poly Shore in it, I think it goes as a don't see anyway. <laughs> so Phil, let's let's bring this thing back around to. Uh what this show is typically about which is uh how to go from a state of poor health to a state of robust health
2: exactly and, and you know i think this can certainly play a part so you know my question for scott would be you know how how do you start uh you know the people in our audience that are intrigued uh mm-hmm. you know uh should they just go jump in the cold river or, you know, do you build yourself up gradually or what are some resources? How how should they get started with this?
1: Well, everyone's different. So you got to go find your own way because there's not going to be one practice that works right for everyone. And I, and I, and you also can't be forced into doing something like you can't, you know, say, you know, to your wife, you know, I really want to get an ice bath and force her into the ice bath. She's not going to say yes to this. You're going to break up your marriage, right? But, but I think that you you can start easy, right? There's no problem with starting easy by sitting in a warm shower and then turning it cold. Um, and actually, in some ways, I find that harder than anything else because you're in this I already do. like ideally comfortable environment. And then why are you going to go ruin it? Um, and 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 actually, the swing in temperature from like 104 degrees out of the faucet down to um, colder, depending on where you are on, you know, whatever the water table is at, um, can actually be a little jarring, but it is locally available to you right now. Um, I actually think it's better to start off in a cold shower and then turn it warm later. Like start off with the anxiety and be like, okay, I'm going to go in and it's going to be hard. And you sit there until it is sensation on your skin right? That it's no longer an emotional reaction to it, which is the the tensing, the, oh, cold, nothing like that. It's like you're there and you sit there until it is sensation on your skin. And then you move the cold water to the part of your body that you don't want it. (laughs) Wherever it is, you don't want the cold water, put the cold water there. And this is a very easy practice uh, available to anyone who has, um, a shower. Um, you know, go into, if you're in California right now, go swim in the Pacific Ocean. If you're in, if if it's liquid water, it's going to be above 32, I promise you. And if it's above 32, I know you personally, you listening to me right now can handle three minutes in that, in that temperature. And your goal is to be calm. And that's it. Now, in addition, if you want to start building up, what I do every morning is I do three rounds of the Wim Hof Breath work, which is just look that up on YouTube. It's everywhere, Um, but it's essentially hyperventilating, exhaling, and holding your breath on the exhale, and then until you're at the point where like, oh man, I really got to breathe. This is uncomfortable, and then you hyperventilate, and you get dizzy, and then you exhale and you hold your breath until you feel like you have to. You have to go again, and then you do that three or four times, and then uh, and then you hyperventilate, exhale, and do push-ups, maybe. As many as you can. I don't care about your form. You don't have to be a Navy SEAL. Do it on your knees. Don't care. Whatever you want to do. But you're doing this while holding your breath, and you will realize that you can, that the pushups are easier than you've ever tried bef- Like that, than they've ever been for you before. And um, and this practice, I find really useful because it's very eye opening for people because they're like, oh. This was cool. Oh my God, I held my breath for two minutes. Oh my God, isn't that amazing? And I don't think it's the time that matters, but that surprise sort is the, the the doorway to a whole world of playing with sensations.
0: I have a suspicion that we've got people who are struggling with their weight and have been for a long time listening to this. Oh I know. I know this that is your audience. But I have a suspicion that some of those people, um, might need this psychological lever or wedge, maybe, to borrow a phrase, um, as a way to get started. I can see. I've, yes, I'm. I'm a big fan of cold plunges. I. I was feeling crappy yesterday. I just had a bad day. Went and got in the spa. 104 degrees, sat there for I don't know how long, and then went and got in the pool. And um, three minutes in the pool, completely redid my, everything felt better. Just Mm -hmm. everything felt better. Um, It was like I I got a burst of energy that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been doing this long enough that it doesn't, I don't get freaked out by it most of the time. I do occasionally have one of these. Oh crap. Okay. And then when I do that, when when I feel that way, I realized if I will dive into the pool rather than walk in on the stairs, just get it over with quicker. And just well, be- I think-
1: I think you're right that, that, especially if you're talking about weight, right? The, the, there are totally metabolic things that are going on here that will help yeah. you lose weight from a metabolic perspective, but I'm actually not super interested in that. I'm more interested in the sense that you get into that cold environment and then you realize you have control yeah. of, over yourself. I think that's actually more important than the, the sugar burning aspects of this, because once you start feeling you have control over some aspect of your life your breath your responses that can trigger um changes overall your whole body and in uh, your whole life in general it's like look i do this thing and some people think it's weird but i do this thing and you know it makes me feel good cuz it's going to give you this boost of ben- of like endorphins when you go in there and then you realize you have a tool to click it flick over into that. And I I think that with weight, you know, it's funny, I've lost a fair amount of weight recently, and I don't credit it to the ice bath. Um, I've been doing that for a while, but the, it's all about small changes, right? It's not about saying, look, you're, you can lose 15 pounds in a month by never eating again or whatever, you know, it's about like creating habits that, that are sustainable and you know, look at where you're going to be in a year from now, not where you're going to be in in February. And and those are the things that really change. And I think the easiest way, if I was going to give a recommendation to somebody, if anyone cared about my recommendations, which they don't have to, um, it, it's that: cut out alcohol, reduce your sugar intake, and do some sort of exercise that you like. Doesn't matter what it is. Some exercise that you like that you find joy in, and focus on the fun of that exercise, not whether or not you're going to get a six pack, um, focus on the. This is going to be fun. And for me, what I've done recently, and this was like, this is bananas. And this is the advantage for all of you male listeners. This is incredibly useful for you because you have some natural hormone in your body called testosterone, which is an unfair advantage. What I started doing, um, uh, in July is I would do a hundred push-ups a month. And I tried to do like the hard ones, uh, sorry, no, 100 pushups a day um, where the hard ones where I sort of went inside and I, I went different than I usually d- do them. And I said, I'm going to do 100 pushups a day um, no matter what. Uh, and, and it can be one pushup at a time. I can do that 100 times. One pushup, walk around my house and then d- and just do that over the course of a day. And at first, like doing 10 pushups the hard way was really, really, really hard for me. And I would do 10 uh, 10 sets uh, in the day to get to 100. Now I can do them in uh, in you know two sets to get me through to get me through my day. And honestly, the 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 muscle changes have been bananas. And I lost like 15 pounds for with no other change in my and anything that I did. And it was just, just because pushups. Of just ups That was it. That was all I was doing. And that I continue. To, and I'm like, oh my god, my wife's like, oh, well, you've got muscles. I'm like, hi, do 100 pushups, which is nothing. It's nothing. And you can split it up between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. It doesn't matter. It's just a thing that I did. And it it actually brings me joy to do it. It's really funny. I love it. Well, I'm going to go I'm going to go do some
2: pushups in the cold water bath and really take this uh, next level. But (laughs) um, but, you know, uh, any, you know, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, you just kind of, uh, you know, talked about some of those concepts about making sustainable changes and, and, you know, recognizing that you have control over uh, these aspects of your life. And, you know, that's certainly concepts that I talk about, you know, in my book and and all the time. And, you know, I've seen so many people now that you're right, you just need to find that one area of your life to first kind of Mm -hmm. take control of and make changes. And it ends up translating into so many other areas Mm -hmm. of your life. You know, a lot of my patients, it starts with, they take control of their diet. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everything else is getting better. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and specific to this, it's amazing how many people I've seen, you know, who start, you know, metabolic health, low carb, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and they end up, at Wim Hof and doing cold plunges and, yeah. you know, all of this other mm-hmm. stuff, because you just keep saying to yourself, you know, what can I, you know, what else yeah. can I take control of in my life?
1: Yeah. You're, you look at that. You're using your consciousness to decide what sort of environment you want to create around you. And that's what we, that's what we do really well. Right. And and it's, it's just our complacency, which we all have. Like we all love Netflix on, the on, you know, White Lotus had this great season this month. I loved it. I, I watched, I binged the whole thing. And uh, you don't have to give up on comfort, but you're, you're right. It's like these beachheads. You create one beachhead and then you build on it and you you don't bite off the whole thing. And you don't have the destination that you're trying to, you don't plan on your destination, right? You don't say, I need to look like this person right? In this magazine or whatever, or, or I need to lose 15 pounds. That goal is irrelevant, um, to, to your daily practice. Cause you're not going to lose it in a sustainable way. Things go up and down and they change. But like, if you make that beachhead, this makes, I like doing this. This is joyful to me, whatever it is. And if it's in a positive direction, you will build, you will, and you will get, get better. And, you know, and, and that I think is, is the, I mean, that's the adventure of being alive.
0: I want to ask some uh, writing nerd questions. Is that okay, sure. Phil?
1: Sure thing.
0: What's the one book that you wish that somebody else wrote that you wish you had written?
1: Oh, uh, Into the Wild by John Krakauer.
0: Oh, that's a good one. You're kind of uh, a, you're kind of a John Krakauer type of author, aren't you?
1: Oh, totally. A very experiential. Um, um, but I also would have liked to write Harry Potter and Fifty Shades of well, Grey yeah. and everything that Stephen King wrote. And, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, taking, I'm taking your first
0: answer. What's, uh, the, what's the book you haven't written yet that is uh, uh, percolating inside you?
1: Well, I'm working on four books right now. Um, and one the 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 one that's i'm I'm doing like next, like I should write it probably in the next three months, is on napping and why all of us should take more naps. Uh and and I think it's here we're it's a, talking about press your boundaries out, stretch mm-hmm, yourself. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, napping's a boundary too, because we live in this working grind culture, and we often see napping as lazy, right? We see sleep as lazy, but sleep is restorative. And and if you set time. Aside specifically for napping, it's a, another one of these beachheads that changes your life. And you know, honestly, I don't even care if people read the book as long as they look at it and they're like, "Oh yeah, I should take a nap." And that I I won. So that's one book. I'm working on an. Uh, I'm, I'm uh thinking about a book about a cat parasite of a called toxoplasmosis. Oh, Gandhi.
0: toxoplasmosis. Yes, mm-hmm.
1: and how it may have like made civilization as we see it. So that's an idea. And I'm I, I want to write another book about the Alamo. Uh, And why Santa Anna, the at the Alamo, the guy who killed all the Texans, was the hero. So that's going to be
0: fun. Uh, Oh yeah, Uh, and and I suggest you never go back to Texas after that one's published.
1: (laughs) I know, but getting banned in Texas would be so fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Texas is a hard place
2: to get banned from. If
0: I remember correctly, now now I was looking at your at, at your books. You wrote one about. Uh, um, despots about uh, I don't know where is. I it? wrote a
1: book recently called "The Vortex" about the deadliest storm in human history no, and it's how that not almost. The one led I, was, to...
0: I must be thinking about somebody else. Some
1: other dude. <laughs> there were despots in that book.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it got yeah. me to thinking about Santa Ana, actually, mm. um, but if it wasn't you, then there's no point in pursuing that particular rabbit sure. trail. <laughs> Go ahead, Phil.
2: Um, yeah. I would love to hear the, uh, maybe, you know, cause we're coming up on time here, but I'd love to hear a little bit about the organ trafficking uh, uh, book mm-hmm. and story.
1: Yeah. That's how I got my, my um, start. Um, I was a foreign correspondent based in India and I, uh, I discovered that a village right next door to where I was living, um, all the women had sold their kidneys to the, um, local hospitals essentially. And that triggered a, a um, just a six year investigation into all of the ways that human bodies get bought and sold around the world. And, you know, it's, uh, we have a real problem with the way we deal with human tissues, uh, where we have not resolved any ethical Many ethical issues with them, and uh, there are, you know, while the idea of donating organs and and things or saving lives is a really good, you know, it's really good to save lives, right? The privacy that we have around and in, in HIPAA with the with uh, you know, just the idea that people are protected by medical privacy provides extremely wonderful cover for people to commit horrible crimes. And so I covered that for six years. I met a lot of organ traffickers. Um, uh, you know, working in you know, obviously with kidneys, but also people who bought and sold human skeletons and human hair and human eggs and and whole children. And this that you know, while we have great people who do really good work, you know, in in the organ networks, there's also a lot of really bad people. And when you start treating human tissue as a commodity in the in the legal markets what happens is you create this, what I call a red market, um, where, uh, crimes really proliferate. And there's quite a bit that's going on all the time. Like there's quite a few stolen kidneys that end up in, in, you know, being, uh, processed by American doctors. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, it, There's not a ton that happens in America, but oftentimes people from America will fly to a place like Pakistan or South Africa or Brazil or Philippines and on and on and on and and get a kidney and then are are processed by the American medical system later. Um, And it is a several billion dollar a year industry.
0: Wow. So, Scott, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of uh, you or get a hold of your work? So I have a cool mailer.
1: Yeah, I've got a great mailing list that sort of highlights whatever I'm on in that particular week. Um, I don't know. You can just go to my website, scottcarney.com, and there should be a pop up. I also have a oh, YouTube God. channel, which is fun. Oh, my website is scottcarney.com. Um, I have a YouTube channel, which is, you know, search it out. I don't know it's, where it is. And S.G. Carney at all the places like Instagrams and the Twitters and the, you know, blah, 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 S.G. Carney blah,
0: blah. at all the places, all, at right.
1: all the places. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Very good. Well, this has been fun. I would love to to talk writing nerd stuff with you for a long, long time, but <laughs> that's not what this is about. So uh, thank you. Very
2: I good. Got, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. It's a great conversation. I think it's really going to open the minds of uh, many in our audience as to what, what is possible and uh, hopefully push them to push their limits.
1: I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Appreciate it. Well, for Dr. Philip Ovedia and Scott Carney, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. I want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on uh, whatever your favorite podcast platform is. We drop a new episode every Tuesday. Go to Dr. Ovedia's website at ifixhearts.com and take his metabolic health quiz. Get yourself a baseline about where you really are metabolically, a good way to start and and know how you need to improve. And we'll talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avedia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com dot com slash talk.